have Dr. Jennifer Avegno with us today, who is basically head of the public health department for the city of New Orleans, and within her purview are mental health issues. And, uh, you know, we're hearing those two words in association with the question of crime more and more, even though statistically, there are those who say that the connection is not as obvious as you might think. However, I think that has more to do with how we define and diagnose mental health than anything. That's just my opinion. I think a lot of kids who are going through tough times at home or in school um, are in the middle of a mental health, let's call them challenges, if not illness. And it, it, it hurts their progress. It hurts their confidence in themselves and their future. And next thing you know, they're looking for that confidence and future on the streets. And it's my theory, and there was an article in the New York Times a, a couple of weeks ago about the drop in, in, in um, teen pregnancy, which was attributed to the fact that more and more women have expectations of opportunities, which keeps them from um, being less careful about getting pregnant than they used to. So that says to me, opportunities and hope are key to how youth think about themselves in the world. And, and um, so am I right in assuming that the stats may be under counting the relationship between, let's call them again, mental challenges as opposed to, you know, pure D uh, mental illness as characterized by things like schizophrenia, paranoia, and so on. But, you know, at least depression and, and a lack of a, a sense of, you know, uh, optimism about your life can, can be as challenging as, um, maybe not as challenging, but certainly plenty challenging. Well, yeah, I think, as you said, it really, it really depends on what you mean when you say mental health. I think we use that term indiscriminately and it means different things to different people. If we are talking about classic psychiatric diseases like schizophrenia, bipolar, et cetera, those individuals are not more likely to commit crimes. In fact, they're more likely to be the victims of crimes because they are just, you know, when not properly treated, not able to really participate in society in the same way. When we're talking about what I think you're talking about, I would call it, rather than mental challenges, I would, I would say that repetitive exposure to trauma starting in the, as a child is, is, can be a significant risk factor for being a victim of violence. When you couple that with inadequate social needs, right? If you have no social safety net, if you have no economic stability and you are constantly exposed to violence in the home, uh, drugs, poor access to good nutrition, no access for exercise and play, inadequate schools and limited job prospects, all of that together is a perfect soup for where we find ourselves and other communities like us today. Um, so there is a ton of research that the number of adverse childhood experiences that, that a young person is exposed to from infancy can drastically, drastically reduce their likelihood that they are going to live a long, healthy life and increases the chance that they may be a victim of violence. So that's really, if we want to talk about violence prevention, you know, law enforcement is important. 
and and there has to be a functioning level of of appropriate equitable law enforcement response but what we really have ignored for a very long time is the prevention aspect of it exactly and i i know that the crime task force which i understand you're a part of and i don't know who isn't at this point there's so many people involved with it um is looking at this in in various ways well yes um, no it's the internal task force um that's led by D director morris from 911 is really designed to be how can non-law enforcement agencies within government so code enforcement, um, the DA's office, the health department, various other agencies with, with oversight in their own you know, issues, how can they support the work that NOP is doing? So if there is a, is a hotspot that has repetitive criminal violent activity, um, is it because all the lights are out on that street? Is it because there is a property there that is being illegally used um, because it's abandoned and they're storing guns and drugs. And so so can the other agencies intervene in a way that that makes it less of a hotspot? So that's that's really and and so also what's breaking down in the system, right? Um, are the courts communicating with the DA, communicating with the the uh, the city in a way that folks are getting processed appropriately and just the wheels of justice are turning? What the health department has been tasked to do, by the council and creating a broader violence prevention strategy is really gonna look at those primarily non-law enforcement issues that we were talking about. Um, you know, what are the, the environmental conditions? What kind of youth development programs do we have or not have? What kind, where are the gaps in our economic supports for families? And they are vast, right? Um, the hard long-term work so that we won't have the need for so much law enforcement, um, you know, when, exactly. if we're successful. Sure. So, um, you know, our, my, the nonprofit organization I work with, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, which you're familiar with, um, we have a program called Creative Futures and um, we teach classes and we don't have a lot of money for it. So we haven't replicated it much, but in one of the classes that I, I taught a couple of the classes when teachers were uh, for one reason or another not available. And I was shocked to discover what percentage of the kids in my class who chose to study the creative industries and their opportunities in it. That's the nature of the course, teaching them, you know, what are their opportunities and how do they go after them? What percentage of them had really traumatic situations at home? It was yeah. almost, it was almost universal. Yep. I mean, they either had sexual abuse going on, they had violence going on between parents and themselves. Um, they just had all kinds of very, as I said, traumatic situations. Now, I grew up in the South Bronx. I, I make a joke, my husband is tired of hearing that I'm from the South, pause, Bronx. <laughs> but, you know, it was not the easiest place to grow up. And, and we had our challenges and there was, my father was alcoholic, not, um, you know, all the time, but he, he had that tendency. And there were some rough moments at, at the home and they, they were unsettling and they had an effect on me, not to the extent that I'm, I was hearing in that class, but I, I, enough for me to be totally convinced of exactly what you just said, that mm -hmm. those experiences can really have an effect. And when you look into these 
folks who are, are big um, shooters of, and mass killings, very often you hear that they had that kind of childhood. So when right. they say that there's the connection between crime and, and, and um, psychiatric issues is not that great, I'm saying maybe just because you don't have the diagnosis of it. Right, the diagnosis, or it could be, you know, again, it's not, they're not schizophrenic. They're not bipolar. They're not hearing voices, right? But but repetitive trauma starting at a young age produces real neurophysical changes in your brain. And so when your brain works differently, you process things differently and you you um, you consider others dif differently. Uh, you know, if you if you never learn to develop empathy because you've never had a stable relationship uh, with a you never formed an attachment with a caregiver. All of that is devastating. Um, there's a really interesting study that's happening around the country in four different cities. New Orleans is one where they are enrolling moms who have just given birth um, and providing them with basic, a universal basic income, you know, a credit card that has money that they can use. And these are these are low-income moms. And then not only do they measure the, the social environment over the next several years in the house and you know the attachment and all that, but they also measure the baby's brain waves uh, and in neural development as they age. And it is really amazing what and we're not talking thousands of dollars. <laughs> we're talking a few hundred extra dollars a month. It's really amazing what their findings have been to date and how that little bit of stability creates a better psychological environment for the family and a physical environment in the baby's brain. And when you have a healthier, healthier, happier brain, of course you do better in school and you're not held back and you have lots of opportunities that are available to you. So this, this is a medical issue for sure. Um, it is a to, um, that brings me, that sort of moves me to the issue of anxiety, which is something that I experience and I know, um, how debilitating anxiety can be. It's, it's, you can, you can really track its effect on you. And, uh, it, it, it for me, I know it causes a, a kind of skepticism. My husband's one of the most optimistic people in the universe. And, and I think we share this in, in our husband. Yes, mine too. <laughs> And I'm a little more skeptical yes, because I'm from a rougher background. And um, so anxiety is an issue. I, I don't think that's classified as a um, mental illness, but it definitely is, is one of the things that comes out of that trauma, for example. And you don't have to have sure. really violent trauma. You just right. have unsettling situations where, as you said, if a family is worried about where the next meal's coming from. Oh my God, I mean. I right, and you know, there's a, anxiety is a continuum, right? You can have anxiety and still be functional or it can be debilitating. And the question there is what is your access to treatment? I mean, we have good methodologies and good treatment options for anxiety, whether it's forms of therapy, whether it's medication, but there, you know, particularly in the mental health landscape, that's generally most available to folks that have the money and time to access it. You know, may, therapy is not covered by many insurers. Um, anxiety medications may or may not be, but getting all of that together requires a lot of resources that folks who are most traumatized often don't have. Which brings me to the question of, do we have the... Um, psychological, forgetting psychiatric, psychological 
assets in our city to address these questions? Do we have what we need? No, and I don't know that any community does. Um, the mental health workforce needs to be significantly expanded. And, and that's that's not just psychiatrists, that's psychologists, that's therapists, that's peers, that's counselors throughout the continuum. We do, I, I do believe that we have more services than folks realize sometimes because we, we generally have a fragmented system. For yeah. those who are Medicaid or uninsured, we have Metropolitan Human Services District, which is a network of clinics like a community health clinic, but for mental health. Um, and I, I don't know that folks often realize they can access them. Um, we do have a lot of our community health centers, our, our federally qualified health centers that have added behavioral health capacity. And again, if you are low income, um, you know, it's a sliding scale. Do we need more? Absolutely. Do we need different options like telehealth? For some people, and there's some good evidence on this, telepsychiatry actually is quite helpful, reduces some barriers. Now you still have to have an internet and a phone and that sort of thing, but um, that's an option that was opened up by the pandemic that we're hoping will be continued. The funding for telehealth is largely tied to um, some of the really? pandemic restrictions, but there's a growing understanding that this is something that really needs to be continued. And probably so, less expensive. Um, than, it can be, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, so that's, so that's, that's a we have potential, but no, you know, I tell everybody, I every young person I meet, please go, go into mental health be a therapist, be a counselor, be a social worker. Um, you will never be, it's like being a nurse. You'll never be without a job. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, to kind of touch on a political side of this, and then I want to uh, be sure and not forget to, uh, to, before we run out of time, to talk to you a little bit about COVID and Mardi Gras coming up and the probable surge, however extensive it might or might not be. But um, I mean, I, I look at these people in the political scene, people like this guy from New York. What's his name? George. What's his name? He's, he's got various last Oh, names. the one who lied about his uh, <laughs> he, he basically is clearly um, a, a, um, a serial, what do they call that? Uh, pathological liar. Pathological liar. That's an illness. Why isn't he being dealt with as somebody who has a mental illness? Likewise, Trump himself. There are people who are very clear that Trump um, is also a kind of very close to, if not, in fact, a sociopath. And he has not been dealt with on that level. And then you have somebody like McCarthy. Obviously, you can see my politics. I'm complaining about people in the Republican Party. But McCarthy is so cynical they, you know, most of the Republicans know that that whole business about the election fraud is a lie, and yet they are perpetrating it continuously. And it just, it, it just astounds me that we don't call them on the mental health aspect of what they're doing. How can a guy like McCarthy really live with himself? He knows, he knows. And so many well, again, people I, know. I, I think there's a continuum. You know, when we talk about true mental health disorders, again, like a schizophrenia, a bipolar, that is a disruption in your brain chemistry um, in the way that you would maybe classify addiction as a, a, a disruption in your brain chemistry. There's an awful lot of personality disorders out there, narcissism, borderline, um, you know, a, a variety. And I think a lot of what you see 
in public figures who behave badly, or even in our own life, we probably deal with more people with personality disorders. Those are very difficult. Those generally don't rise to the level of, you know, severe harm to yourself or others, but they are incredibly difficult to deal with. And there are not the same treatments, right? Medications don't generally fix them. Intensive therapy can for, for some, but it's a lot harder than generally than a depression and anxiety or a, and know, it's a, harder to get them to access right. that therapy so, because they don't accept that they have a disorder exactly so a lot of therapists will tell you that they they deal with a lot of personality disorders that really are it's very difficult to fix and for whatever reason it sure does seem like there's a proliferation of folks <laughs> recently but I think again, the whole world right now needs therapy right I, I agree my but whole again, newsletter you know a hundred years ago even we might not have had a name for it um but there was probably some pretty bad behavior by politicians back then too it's true all right let's take a shot at the COVID situation I sure. mean I think we're all very confused about it right now <laughs> I mean I had my latest booster Good. I think was in January. Let's see. Yeah, was, it no, came it out in the fall. Late summer, so I think. Uh, yeah, um, uh, came out in the fall. I'm out of the. They, I think they usually say four months. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Four months. So I'm out. Well, of, um, yes and no. Um, okay. What we're seeing now. So the the last booster came out in the fall, and it was both effective against the original COVID strain, which really doesn't circulate very much, and the most recent ones. And it seemed At to have, yes, it held up pretty well through the winter in terms of what, what it's supposed to do, which is protect, protecting you against severe disease and hospitalization and death, right? Doesn't, as we know, the vaccines don't necessarily prevent you from acquiring COVID, but they really do seem to be protective against severe outcomes. And it's- Are they, pro are they protective against long COVID? Because I, I well, have a feeling that some people are getting it. They don't have really strong symptoms, but they linger. And I think that's yes. the case in my household. <laughs> yes, they, they are. They have been shown to be effective against developing long COVID. So for all those reasons, the latest booster is the one to get if you haven't gotten it. We will probably move to a yearly booster schedule like the flu. And that's because other than China, most of the world has gotten COVID or has immunity from vaccines at this point. So the likelihood that we're gonna have these continued surges that are going to severely impact lots and lots of people is less and less. You know, we had these waves, now we have ripples. And so what the thinking is, and I and you know, I think it's reasonable is that stop confusing the public, telling them they got to get the fourth booster and the fifth booster and the eighth booster. By now, most people have built up enough immunity that a yearly booster is probably going to be sufficient. We also have medications um, like Paxlovid, so that if you are high risk and you do get it, you've got that in your toolkit as well. So I think but, we are moving into a new phase. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Becker. You. you gave me a little bit of a sort of comfort level, um, despite my tendency towards anxiety. <laughs> That's okay. Um, 
I appreciate it. And uh, keep us informed we'll do. Uh, as the planning continues. And uh, I yes. assume that at some point you'll have some kind of an announcement about it. And I hope that you'll let us hope know. So. We will. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. And have a wonderful Mardi Gras. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. I have Gail Switzer with NAMI New Orleans, which is the National Associate Alliance on Mental Illness. And um, kind of following up on some of the things that um, I, I learned from Dr. Vegno about the different levels of mental illness. Um, there are those that are clearly diagnosable as schizophrenic or um, bipolar, and we have a lot of that in New Orleans because we have so much poverty. And uh, despite our, our cheerful celebratory culture, we still also have um, a lot of difficult situations in the home. So um, Gail's organization is more focused on, on uh, supporting people who, who have to deal with these issues. So Gail, I thought I would really ask you to help us understand if you or a family member or a friend are having anything from anxiety, just you know, higher levels of anxiety, onto more serious and diagnosable mental um, issues. So tell me in New Orleans, give me some of the alternative ways that people can get treatment. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on your show. I did want to say that my name is spelled G-Y-L, but it's Jill. Oh, Jill. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, it's okay. No. Um, and and the I story, knew that actually, and I forgot. Yeah. No, it's hard. Um, actually, the story with that is there's, I'm the youngest of seven, and all oh. our names, all our names start with G. So oh, no, see, no. it got a little creative at the end. So I started with um, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, New Orleans, um, at the end of October. So I'll speak um, from general knowledge and what I've learned in two months, which included holidays and a big move for NAMI. We are so lucky that we had our East Bank office was on Louisiana Avenue, and we just moved to a beautiful building, 4403 Canal Street. It's a big yellow building. It used to be the Ronald McDonald House. Soon we're going to stop saying that. We're just going to say it's the NAMI House. Um, we still have a West Bank office too. So if you're in New Orleans and you are, are a family member are strength, struggling um, with mental health issues, you, you, maybe you know what it is, maybe you don't know what it is. We always involve, invite folks to talk to a trusted person in your life, a loved one. Sometimes people reach out to their um, preacher or their rabbi and um, express what's going on with them. It's always people seem to have a fear of doing that or worried about it. We see good things coming from that. Also, seek out resources. One way to do that is to call NAMI New Orleans. Um, our mental health navigation team phone number is 504-228-2246. So we have a great folks who listen and identify resources to help folks out and connect them in the community. We do programs ourselves. Um, 
So reaching out to NAMI, reaching out to a trusted one in your life, uh, primary care physician, if you're lucky enough to have health insurance and uh, go to a primary care physician. One obstacle that you alluded to is stigma. People don't want to admit, oh, I have a mental illness or I think I might, or it's seen as a weakness, um, a character flaw. And, you know, we... That's an obstacle that we all need to get over. We need to be open hearing others talk about their mental illness and trying to help folks. One way we do that also is through classes we have. We have peer-to-peer -peer classes. So peers are folks who are experiencing mental illness and they can speak with each other about things that are on their a list of things that are worrying them, how to behave in certain situations, for example. We have support classes for family to family, which is um, adults who have other adults in their life, maybe their children, maybe their spouse who have a serious mental illness. And we educate about mental illnesses. And we, the, the beauty of it is that family members can then speak to each other about how to get through um, things. And we also have mental health first aid, which is a fairly new program. It's if you think of CPR, it's like that for mental health. We have a program, it's a, a day long training um, for folks who want to know more or often come across the general public. And it teaches how to react and not react to certain situations, some de-escalation techniques. Uh, it's something that we believe everybody in the city should be trained in. It helps people feel more comfortable interacting with others and gets us all in a safer place. So that's something we can connect you with as well, that we do that training. That's very interesting because actually um, it was making me think about uh, there's a there's another level to what we're talking about that doesn't it's not necessarily classified as you know mental illness or even um, personality issues, but just dealing with difficult situations that you don't really know how to deal with because you haven't had experience with it and uh, you don't have a um, map. One thing we encourage always in everything we do is self-care. And that might be different for you and for me. Time off, time out, um, healthy walks, staying outside, talking to a friend, all the things that keep us connected and grounded. I tend to uh, do some of those techniques before I have to get on the difficult phone call or phone tree or trying to get the answer. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I do, and I've had that situation before with family members, I write down all my questions. Sometimes I announce, I'm very frustrated. It's not about you. <laughs> I'm very frustrated. And I think that's something that NAMI does well is bring it to the point where we can say things like that to each other. You know, I'm very upset right now because of something else or just letting people know that. And it helps you to take a deep breath, you know, to um, 
All of those things, generally self-care, I think of it as free mental health care because it's, you know, meditating, deep breathing, walking, being outside, calling a friend. And those are so important. And then, as you mentioned, some things raise to a higher level where you need to pursue counseling, um, therapy, uh, maybe sometimes pharmaceuticals to get to a place where you can um, function safely and let, go ahead. You know, let, let me focus on the counseling part because mm -hmm. that's something that um, more of us need than any of the other because the other is a smaller percentage of the population even though it's many more than we acknowledge. I, I believe there's a lot of folks out there who are undiagnosed with, with more serious mental um, questions, but um, counseling. If somebody needs counseling, and let's say, I'm not one of those people who likes to um, share all my personal issues with friends. I do have certain friends who, if they ask me how I am, I'm gonna tell them. I'm right. not gonna say, oh, I'm fine. My husband always says, great, I'm great. And I always look at him and I'm saying, yeah, right. I'm not great. And I'm not mm. going to say I'm great when I'm not. And mm. so um, I, I do express, you know, frustrations, as you said. But counseling is another story. I mean, again, understanding how to get your arms around a life situation that you're not used to. Give me some of the alternatives that people like me who are relatively normal. There are friends of mine who would argue with that or non-friends of mine, especially. <laughs> but I always blame it on being from the from the South, pause, Bronx, which my husband's getting tired oh. of saying that, but you know, I'm not a Southern belle. So I, I'm kind of more direct and that doesn't necessarily go over that well in New Orleans. But I, for just plain old fashioned counseling, where maybe you don't want to talk to your friends about your issues. Um, what What's your recommendations? What, what resources are available in New Orleans that I don't know about? Everyone knows we're an under-resourced community for not only mental health care, but physical health care. And so we have to be um, resilient. <laughs> we have to be uh, persistent. Um, the phone number that I gave you before for our mental health navigation team, 504-228-2246, uh, we can talk you through options, um, you know, direct you to resources we know about. Now, I'm not going to fool anyone by saying there can be weights involved, you know, um, resources needed, financial resources. We try to connect people to the best options that they have. Uh, but it's interesting and good to think about other options. If you don't have a counselor, but maybe you have a, um, a person at your place of worship that can uh, speak with you and has some experience speaking with those in, in your community, people like you that have real problems that they need to discuss. Um, sometimes there's support groups that we run that for people who uh, maybe have a specific issue in their lives and they want to share with others and hear 
good ideas. And that's a range of issues you might have in your life. Uh, I am very proud and happy to be at NAMI because every time I go somewhere, somebody will sort of come in the corner with me and say, oh, I did the, NAM the NAMI family to family program. And it taught me so much more about my loved one's mental illness and how to um, create a healthy distance when that's possible to know other folks in the community struggling with the same thing. So maybe it's not counseling you need, but maybe it's a support group. Maybe it's somebody who has some experience, um, someone who knows you well. And then, you know, folks, uh, Louisiana expanded Medicaid two, two, three years ago, what was it? Um, so there are more resources in terms of payers if you're Medicaid eligible. We have in-house uh, Medicaid-related um, intensive case management, counseling, psychiatry. You have to fit into a certain um, profile to do that. But my purpose was to say Medicaid has opened up some resources to folks who haven't had it before. What about Medicare? No, um, I don't know as much about Medicare and um, but our navigation team would. So uh, I apologize for not knowing more about that at this time. I don't I don't uh, I have a feeling there really isn't a lot because um, you cross a certain uh, financial barrier and there's less help, uh, frankly, um, mm. than uh, folks who are who are in deeper um, uh, trouble. Um, how would you compare New Orleans overall in terms of our mental health issues with other places? I, I think we fail often because New Orleans is so kind of myopic about the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair statement, even mm -hmm. though it's a little bit pejorative, but um, I, we don't necessarily recognize, for example, the crime problem that we're all we're at the point of almost recalling a mayor for crime that has exploded in virtually every American city, large and small, right now in this post-pandemic. I call it the post-pandemic pandemic. pandemic. Um, right. it's, uh, it's a very difficult time that we're going through as we come out of it, and we're sort of uncertain about how to come out of it. And some people have come out of it incredibly well and have been constructive and changed things in their lives. And others have really been uh, knocked, knocked off their track uh, by it. And um, so um, how, how, do we, how, how, how do we fit in in the national context? If you, you may not, that might not be a focus of yours, but um, I always feel like we don't compare ourselves and, and really measure ourselves in the broader context that would help us understand that it's not us only that has an increase in, in violent crime, for example. Right, and some of my, I grew up in New Orleans and I went to Texas for too long and moved back. So I know a lot about mental health care in Texas and in Austin in particular, where I was. Well, Austin's like- And yeah, and so, I wish I could say, oh, gee, it was so much better there, but I can't. The lack of providers is huge. Mm. The lack of um, a payer source for so much health care in general and mental health care. 
there's a problem with cultural competency in for folks to reach out to be able to reach out to um, providers who look sound like them and have been in the same kind of places they have been. And so it's a huge um, challenge in New Orleans and elsewhere. New Orleans, for example, huge um, black community and not a lot of black providers, even among the providers that are not enough that we have. That was a, a long sentence. Um, so there's a lot of um, challenges. And so the other day I was going to speak at a church about um, mental health. And I found myself gathering all sorts of statistics. Well, you know, this many doctors per population and, and this many people can't afford and this bad outcomes. And I thought, you know, maybe a step back and focusing on what does work, how we build resilience, how, where we can get resources. And so I very much appreciate this show as being one where I can say, we have some support groups we have some family resources. We have a mental health first aid program that um, can help people in your hotel, in your restaurant, in your library, so that they don't get as stressed out by the clientele they may see. Uh, we talk about um, self-care, as I, as I rather flippantly called it, um, free care, you know? And we need to have we can all do our part by having open conversations like this. Um, what I've experienced, what my family member has gone through, what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know, you asked me earlier about, um, you know, if there were uh, personal experiences or some, you know, that I could talk about. And we have a million stories here. But I will mention that I am a person with serious mental illness, and I've been through all these stages of terrible stigma, I don't want to tell anybody, a person that I talked to not being helpful, and um, finding the right counselor, because sometimes there's not a, a connection. Um, I've, I've had insurance, which is sure a big plus as on the journey. And I didn't used to talk much about my own mental illness, but... It's amazing how many people, when I share a little bit, they, they'll open up about their family member or something they've experienced. And we can help each other in that way. I, I think that, that the, the underlying fact there is that there is much more pervasive um, mental issues. I don't want to call them illnesses or health, just mental issues of, of a variety um, than, mm -hmm. than uh, are acknowledged. I want to come back to just two things and, and we're going to run out of time, but I, okay. Uh, you, you mentioned two words, cultural competency. What did you mean by that? You know, there's probably a formal connection with Texas. Oh, well, in the part of Texas where I lived and in a lot of parts of Texas, uh, there were very, there were not enough providers who were say bilingual in, in English and Spanish, okay. who um, had grown up on the border themselves, who had you know been immersed in a Hispanic culture. Right. Here in New Orleans, that's an issue that we have a, a community of people right. who are uh, recent immigrants. But 
I also think in terms of um, black psychiatrists and um, counselors and every level of care for um, people who are experiencing mental health, mental health challenges. And I think and I think you also mentioned, and I, I want to put an emphasis on this too, because I think this is a problem uh, people encounter all the time. And that is, um, if you uh, seek out and you um, see a counselor of one variety or another, whether it's a psychologist or just a, a um, what's this one word below a psychologist? Uh, I forget. Well, a counselor, and yeah. then uh, and then on to psychiatry. Um, and it's not a match. And I think what happens sometimes when that happens is you kind of write it off. You don't uh -huh. write off the idea of going to a counselor. And I, I've had that experience. I've had a couple times when I really felt, oh, God, oh my God, I got I to talk to somebody about this. And right. I've gone to someone and I, I just, 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 just didn't feel like I was going to get the dialogue that I was looking for. Because, you know, sometimes they really just want to listen for too long. I don't want to... I don't want to talk for a year. I want to. I want to. I want a, a faster um, interaction, and um, so that's an issue for me. So, but I. So I had a couple experiences that it just didn't work out, and I. I haven't been back to seek any kind of um, therapy for. Uh, I just have really classic anxiety is really what underlies my um, issues uh, in years because I didn't have experiences that I really um, pre, uh, felt were effective. So I think it's, it's really hard to, you know, to get, find that match. It's just like, you know, finding somebody, you know, I, I feel so sorry for friends of mine who uh, don't have um, a partner. I mean, I have the uh -huh. most amazing partner in the universe. He happens to be in the hospital right now, but normally he's, he's just incredible. Um, and I, I always feel badly for people who don't have that, but a lot of us don't. And right. so, um, you know, I, I think there's that issue. How do you, again, I guess, what is the, your, your pragmatic suggestion for how to get over that hump of having had not such a great match and you need to find a better match in, in who you talk, uh, talk with for counseling? That's an excellent question that we get often or people, uh, Talk to me about it. One thing I like to mention to people is the way I phrase it is the science is catching up to me because I've been through a number of things like when I first got on the medication that I needed, it, the thinking and the science was, we'll get better and then we take you off the medication. And that was a disaster every time. And now for certain medications, for certain conditions, it's known that no, you don't, you don't stop taking the medication. It needs to be, you know, basically a lifetime, but reassess with your provider for sure. I think um, counseling is the same way. You know, I've had counseling. I thought exactly of a situation when you were mentioning listening too much, which sounds strange, but I get exactly what you mean. And um, I just had to move on from that person. But it also made me think, and when I look back, um, realize maybe at different times of your life, you need a different kind of counselor. Yeah, that too. Uh, I was going through, at that time, I was going through a terrible situation and I frankly needed somebody to just listen while I blah, blah, you know, told. 
But then I outgrew that. And I think counselors now are trained better in, you know, ways of communicating, in things that we know work. Um, I, again, I try to be optimistic, but I always tell people healthcare, mental health care, you have to um, advocate for yourself. And that's hard when you're in the middle of a mental illness that's really dragging you down. What I have done is um, I married well, like you. Um, and in fact, my husband's a retired social worker. So there you go. But, oh yeah, social worker, that was another category. I forgot, I was trying to remember, yeah. Oh, oh okay. So, uh, but even if you weren't a social worker and before I met my husband, I would take people with me and say, you know, this psychiatrist is just confusing me, not listening. And you have to sign a document sometimes saying this person can be with you. But even the counseling appointments, I've brought somebody with me too. When, oh, when yeah. you know, when you can get to the point where you're fragile and you know, okay, I'm gonna miss something. I'm not gonna express this the way I want it to come out. And, you know, that, that worked for me that I'm giving an example of that. And others can help you ahead of time. Think of the questions, ask why the therapist is recommending X, Y, or Z. So I, I know it's a hard situation when you're sick and you're trying to advocate for yourself. Yeah. But there's, we, you need to figure out how to do it. Okay. So um, I'm out of time. And, uh, okay. but I think I, I've really uh, uh, heard some really interesting things that I didn't think of or know. And I really appreciate you taking the time to delve into some of these issues and being so forthright about your own issues. Um, so thank you so much. Thank for, you. Uh, our time and, and uh, keep in mind that we're interested in this subject and as things develop and as you learn more about um, your position and uh, what we need in the community, feel free to uh, contact us, okay? Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, we are here with Oscar... Rainey, who is the founder and CEO of the Algiers Mardi Gras uh, Festival. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of always, ever since I've been here, which is since 1972, wanted to start my own crew, but I really never had the space in my life to do it. So I, I, I'm jealous and admiring and thankful to those who actually do it like you. And um, yours is pretty special because it, it is in the Algiers area. And um, I know you have some really great plans for this Saturday's event. So why don't you give us a little bit of a preview? Yeah, thanks for having me, first of all, Jean. And sure. the Algiers Festival kicks off with the community parade, which starts at 9 a.m. at LB Landry Avenue and Lamarck Street. Parading through the streets of Algiers, making a right on Newton Street, which turns into General Meyer, then into the federal city grounds. This year, we are fortunate to have the honorable retired judge Edwin Lombard to serve as the Grand Marshal, who's an Algerian, lifelong Algerian that has done so much for the Algiers community and felt it would be a great opportunity to honor him and his labors for the work that he's done in the community. 
Within the parade, we will feature L.B. Landry, Etna Carr, Noma High School bands, several of the middle school bands, Mardi Gras crews, culture groups in the parade as we parade through the streets of Algiers and end at the festival grounds. Sounds great. And uh, the festival grounds is um, the uh, federal city? Federal City Algiers at the corner of Constitution and Bear, where we will feature 15 food vendors and the oh. New Orleans Finest Entertainment featuring the L.B. Landry Choir, the U.S. Marine Band. We will also have Big Frank, Lil Frank performing, the great Amanda Shaw performs, James Andrews, and closing out the show will be Gina Brown. That's a great lineup. That really is a great food, great music. Um, and uh, hopefully, I hear we're going to have nice weather this weekend. I think it's going to be a little cool, but but, but nice weather. So yeah, we're supposed to have nice time. weather. And the best yeah. part of it all is the festival is free, so we want to un show unity in the Algiers community as well as the metropolitan New Orleans area and surrounding areas. It sounds great. It really does. And um, I, I want to know a little bit about why you did this and what you're hoping to accomplish with it, because, of course, it, it is in the spirit of Mardi Gras and it's fun for everybody. But I know you have a purpose as well. Yes, this started back in 19 in 2019 when my father, George Rainey, the late great King Zulu, had his flag raising at the Algiers Courthouse. And that's a tradition which, in, which is in the Zulu organization of raising the flag on a king's home. Well, instead of raising the flag on the home, we thought it would be great to include the Algiers community to show unity there. So that was the incubation process and the beginning of the Algiers Mardi Gras Festival. And it was not just developed just to have a party. It's a party with a purpose showing unity by encouraging and promoting music, arts and crafts in the local schools and making contributions to those kids so that they can be encouraged to keep this legacy and keep this culture going the way that it's going to make New Orleans what it is today. I, I'm, I'm you know, always impressed with what you all accomplish in Algiers. And I um, am also kind of always aware of the fact that it's um, hard for people to kind of really focus on um, Algiers and what is, is going on there. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's kind of, it's a special own community. Uh, let me pause this for a minute if I can. I don't know, because I've got to deal with some noise in the background here and um, see if I can maybe move myself away from it. Hold on, okay, just one second. And my editor will edit that out, okay. All right, so um, tell, tell me um, what it is about Algiers that you feel requires the kind of effort to achieve unity that, that you're um, trying to accomplish. Well, in my opinion, Algiers is one of the gems here in the city of New Orleans. And, you know, being an Algerian, born and raised in Algiers community, having a diverse community, when you start talking and speaking of the ethnicity, the ages and people, there's a lot of families that go back over generations that have gone to school together, that have built relationships together. So it's one big happy family here in the Algiers community. And, and that, when you say one big happy community, I mean, obviously, the issue that we're all trying to achieve nationally right now is to better um, uh, achieve unity in between different political groups, in between different racial groups. And um, that's hard to do, quite frankly. And I'm, I'm shocked at how much harder it's gotten to do 
um, lately than it used to be. So, um, I mean, it's all the more important than ever. And it, it, she, clearly that's what you're trying to accomplish, right? Absolutely. And as we mentioned and spoke of the lineup for the festival, it's something for everyone and everybody, every group, every age. So we want to make sure that we invite the city as well. We concentrate on the Algiers community to come out because we want to be that festival that's for everyone to come out and have a good time. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your race, the ethnicity. Just come on out and celebrate and have a good time and celebrate it Mardi Gras style as we prepare for Mardi Gras season. Um, so long term, are you looking to see this grow and become, um, you know, more and more uh, 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 widespread? And, and are you going to you think it'll always still be Algiers? I, I suspect so. Right. Yeah. I mean, Gene, we're entering into the third year and each year the festival has grown and we're expecting big things this weekend and hopefully to continue the growth that we're having to become a two day festival here in the near future. Oh, That's wow. the objective. Yeah. That's the goal. But more importantly, as I mentioned, to have a festival and to reach back and focus and provide some monetary support with some of the kids. This year's poster is winner is a student from Noma which we will give that individual a grant towards their continuing their education. We'll oh, that's also great. make contributions to those high school bands uh, to buy music, to buy uniforms, to assist wherever we possibly can. So we are an organization with a purpose as well. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize about the Mardi Gras organizations that are doing events during Mardi Gras, that it, it's rarely just about the parade or just about your ball or just about the events that are associated. It really always does have, um, I guess they say pro bono publica, right? Um, that's correct, that's uh, correct. Rex uses that expression, but it's a general expression that, uh, that means that you try to do something for the, the civic good, so to speak. And um, I, I'm, I'm impressed with that. How come you are, are so attached to this? How, why did you make this kind of a commitment? Well, being raised in a family uh, that believed in Mardi Gras, I've been participating in Mardi Gras all my life, uh, just as well as participating in Mardi Gras. I've been in the food service business all of my life, giving back to others. So it's in the bloodline. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I actually just had Edwin um, on recently, and uh, I've had him on a couple times, actually, and I've known him forever from my uh, old um, television reporting days. And uh, he, he's a special kind of guy. And I imagine you must be too. I don't know you that well, but I'm going to try to get out there and, and see what's going on and, and enjoy a, a day on the other side of the river. Um, I, I do come over there. I was over there for quite a bit because my husband had an accident recently and he was in Waldenburg for a while. And so I was sure. getting familiar with uh, mm -hmm. at least the routes uh, to and from. So um, I, I look forward to trying to get out there. Listen, I hope you have the best party ever. And um, I, it, you know, thank you for what you're doing and thank you for your commitment to the community. And, and I'm sure everybody else who's a part of it are going to appreciate it and thank you as well. Well, thanks for having me. And hopefully so you can get out there because it's going to be a great time. It sounds like it. And uh, listen, also make sure that you take pictures and get those pictures to me because I will publish them in our uh, scenes in our online newsletter. Definitely will do that. All right, you've got my email. Yes, we do. Thanks, Jean. All right, thank you so much. You have a blast, Oscar, and thank you for everything you're doing. 
Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.